You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I am your host, Josh Raley. We've got an awesome episode in store for you today. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be sharing success stories from listeners of this show to get you fired up for deer season. On this week's episode, we've got Caleb Hewitt from Wisconsin talking about his 2020 buck. Now, I don't want to give away too much here in the intro, but Caleb had a couple of really great hunts. And on the day he finally found success on his 2020 buck, he almost got busted in the tree going in for a hanging hunt. It's an awesome story, and you can learn a lot from it. I know I certainly did. Caleb was an outstanding guest. And actually, after we talked about his 2020 buck, we talked about another buck that he took that was uh, especially meaningful for a whole lot of reasons. So really looking forward to having Caleb on again so that we can discuss this other buck as well. But for this week, we're going to hear the story of his 2020 archery buck, and I hope it gets you just as fired up as it got me. Stay tuned. Get ready to share your hunt this season with the Tacticam Solo Extreme Point of View Camera. Featuring one-touch operation, weatherproof housing, and mounts to fit any style of hunting, the Solo Extreme is sure to make filming your hunts foolproof and hassle-free. The Solo Extreme features up to 8x zoom, image stabilization technology that takes the shock out of the shot and lets you capture crystal clear wide quad HD footage. From now until August 31st, you can get the Solo Extreme and a stabilizer mount for just $149.99 with free shipping. To learn more or pick up your Solo Extreme today, head over to Tacticam.com. Onyx Hunt is always striving to help make hunters more successful in the field each season. And Onyx has just released a bunch of new features to help you on your next hunt. These features include new aerial imagery options like leaf off, recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back, and imagery on demand. On top of that, Onyx is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. Try Onyx Hunt for free for seven days or go to onyxmaps.com to learn more. Hunt in comfort this season with camo from Huntworth. They make high quality technical camo at a fraction of the price of other brands. 
My personal favorites for the early season include the Durham Lightweight Pants, which are rugged and durable with just the right amount of stretch where it counts, and the Shelton Midweight Quarter Zip Hoodie with built-in face mask. To make building out your kit simpler, their website now features their new system builder. This tool will help you grab the right camo no matter what season or species you're hunting. To check out their full camo line, head over to HuntworthGear.com. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Caleb Hewitt. Caleb, what's going on, man? Hey, Josh, good to be here. How are you? I'm doing well. Glad uh, glad you came on the show, decided to give me a little bit of your time to share the uh, buck story that you have from 2020. I put out a, a thing on Instagram the other day, and it was a picture of me and a couple of guys wrestling my 2023 buck, or 2022 buck into a, a sled, trying to get it, you know, get it piled in there. And I, I had this question, who wants to come on the show and share a buck story? Because, you know, this is the time of year, everybody's talking strategy, everybody's thinking early season, everybody's, you know, getting tree stands hung and talking about food plots and all this. And you know what, right now, I just want to hear some hunting stories. Like, I just want to hear about how normal people had great success and uh, and killed a buck that was really memorable for them. And you, you were like, hey, I'll do it. And so... Uh, man, here we are. So let, to kick things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and you know maybe how you got into hunting? Yeah. Um, well, again, hopefully that story that I that, that I offered up to you is uh, proves interesting to you too. Um, looking forward to talk, talking more about that. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, Caleb Hewitt. So um, I live in southeastern Wisconsin. I am a pension consultant. Um, so most of my time is spent sitting at a computer uh, dreaming about bucks or elk or t- turkeys or just something outdoors. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, no, as you know, I, like, like many, I grew up, um, hunting. My, my dad was a big time hunter. Um, I'm fortunate that my family has about 70 acres, um, 15 minutes away from, from where I live. So grew up, you know, spending a lot of time on that property, um, heading up North into Taylor County and, and, um, spent a lot of time up there, uh, you know, chasing, you name it, um, bear, bear hunting or trapping with my dad, um, turkey hunting and deer hunting, uh, recently over the last five years or so, I've been really trying to chase elk and get that, but that's proven to be pretty difficult. So I've got a muzzleloader hunt coming up in two months. That's really been kind of controlling my thoughts and efforts over the last, uh, gosh, since I drew that tag a few months ago. So it's good that you kind of got me back into focusing on deer. So I could remember, I do have a deer season after that, that I need to (laughs) start focusing on and, um, spent kind of last couple of weekends on on that family property, starting to, you know, cut trails, shooting lanes, get the food plot ready, things like that. Yeah, man. It's, it sounds like you're, uh, you might be a little bit like me when I, so I had an Iowa Turkey tag this year, right? And it was like, I could see nothing else outside of this Iowa tag. And then once I filled the Iowa turkey tag, I was like, okay, I can think about everything else that comes after this now. Like, now I can think about Wisconsin. Now I can think about Georgia. Now I can think about the other states that I'll be hunting for turkeys. But until that was done, man, I was just laser focused. Sounds like you uh, might have a little bit of that going on. But, uh, man, tell us a little bit about this 70 acres. I mean, it's not all that uncommon, let's say, in Wisconsin, you know, to have a a family farm or 70 acres that the family, uh, family hunts on. Tell me a little bit about the property, maybe. Uh, I have a feeling this is going to tie into the story, and I intentionally didn't ask you anything about the story until we got on the show because it's always, I always want my reaction and, <laughs> and my questions to be fresh and not manufactured. So 
Tell me a little bit about the property because I have a feeling it's going to play into how you hunted this buck and how you found him. Yeah, so um, our property, 70 acres, uh, 10 acres of it is tillable, but honestly, we, we never really utilize that from a hunting perspective. It's kind of um, on the edge and, you know, kind of smack dab up against some houses in a, in a highway and um, just hasn't set up well. And, and honestly, the couple of years that we've had, you know, corn and things like that, um, we, we put cameras out and just never really get much for traction on deer out there. Yeah. So really the rest is kind of 50, 50 split between timber and, um, wetland. And so, and then as far as that timber setup, it's really split into kind of two chunks. There's kind of this North Northern portion. Um, that's kind of the, the majority of it. And the spot that is easiest to access, um, my access is always kind of from the Northwest side of the property, which when you're talking prevailing winds during the, you know, during the fall, Northwest is kind of a, a tough wind to walk in with at your back. Um, so I try not to get too far into the property, which, you know, accessing from the same spot year over year is always a, is always an issue. And I know I need to be better about that, but that's just kind of the fact of the matter. And yeah. then the Southern portion is, um, it's, it's got kind of a lot of, you know, nooks and crannies and things where, um, you get little inlets and fingers and things like that. And so that's historically where my dad used to spend a lot of time hunting. And I try to leave that more as sanctuary, um, and, and kind of let the deer live back there. And I try to avoid getting too far back there just because it's hard to get back there without kind of blowing up everything on your way in. So, man, when you, like when you describe this property, 10 acres tillable, 50, 50 for the rest of it, timber wetland, like I'm thinking like honey hole like that. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, this just sounds like, and, and you may have heard me and uh, my buddy Pierce on here before. Uh, He's been on here several times and we talk about his family owns the right five acres, right? Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the size of the property. It's the right property in the right spot, right? It sounds like yours might kind of be the same way. Am I right? I think you're absolutely right. And I think okay. in, in uh, another hunter's hands that, that would definitely ring true, truer Uh-oh. than in my own hands. I, <laughs> it, it absolutely is. I mean, I have buddies that are like, dude, your property is unreal. And I'm like, I know, but I can't seem to get it done, you know, consistently or on bigger bucks. Mm. But it, it absolutely is. It's, it's, it's a par- paradise that I'm very fortunate, fortunate to have. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So let, let's jump in and talk about this buck from 2020. Uh, you sent me a picture of him on Instagram. Beautiful deer. Just an excellent representation in my mind of like a southern Wisconsin buck. You know what I mean? Like when I think of – when you think about the country, right, and you see a buck from Texas or a buck from Alabama or a buck from, you know, wherever, I feel like they have these characteristics. And you just kind of look at it and you're like, yeah, that's a – that's an Alabama deer or that's a, mm-hmm. that's a Texas deer. Like when I looked at yours, I'm like, yep, that's a, that's a Southern Wisconsin deer. Like that's just what it, what it calls to mind. So, uh, just a beautiful specimen. Tell, where does the story start with that deer? Was this uh, one that you'd been keeping your eye on for some time? Well, uh, so I'll probably back it up. My story really starts with a different deer um, okay. that I kind of been, been chasing for a few years. Um, the deer I'd been chasing was a five-year-old, you know, probably in the one sixties, one seventies, he was, um, definitely one of the bigger bucks that I've ever had kind of consistently using the property, um, consistently getting pictures of and things like that. However, most of the pictures I've always gotten of him have been kind of, you know, after shooting hours, mostly middle of the night. Um, but he always would show up kind of mid October 
through very early November. And so he had done that as a three-year-old, a four-year-old, and, and again, was doing it as a five-year-old. And so, you know, as I was really starting to focus on my 2020 season, it was trying to think about, all right, if he shows up mid-October, you know, when am I going to be taking vacation? When am I going to be doing my all-day sits? Um, the, the full moon that year was, uh, was Halloween. So I was really focusing on trying to take a few days kind of on each side of, of that full moon to really make sure I was out there knowing that that full moon kind of maybe means, you know, midday activity. Right. And that's kind of the days I like to try to be out there all day just because mm-hmm. you, you never know when they're going to be moving. And so, um, I, I was, you know, getting pictures of him and he had actually daylighted a few times already, um, that year. And so I thought maybe in his old age, he's starting to slip up. When did he uh, first, when, when did he typically daylight and when did he start daylighting this particular year? Yeah. So, you know, the, the last couple of years, so th- that would have been 2019 and 2018, he would show up, like I said, somewhere around the 15th of October, and then he would daylight once or twice and there was no sort of consistency. It was okay. kind of somewhere between probably the 23rd and the 27th. It was okay. kind of really that pre-rut, latter part of pre-rut. Um, it, it, that's when he would start to kind of slip up and you'd catch him, you know, 20 minutes before shooting light. And then this year, um, he just out of nowhere showed up at like eight in the morning on, I think it was October 20th. Um, and then he showed up again that night at like a half hour before shooting light. And I thought, wow, okay, maybe he's, maybe he's slipping up or maybe he just got bumped. I don't know. Um, we certainly have a coyote problem. And so I've seen it happen before where a coyote kind of works through the, the swamp and then all of a sudden a buck pops out of a bed. So maybe they were just in the area that day. I'm not really sure. But then he did it again, I think on the 22nd or 23rd, um, he was, he was on his feet, you know, with daylight. So I was really thinking this was going to be the year. It just might happen. And on Sunday, the the 25th, I was out and I was hunting. Um, I saw the tail end of a, of a deer just kind of working through. And I'm like, Oh man, I don't know what that was, but that looked like a huge, body but had no way of really knowing well that night i left the property and um our property is kind of on a busy busy highway and so every year we seem to have some level of roadkill and a couple of times it's been some really big bucks that i've been after so i'm I'm always kind of a little bit nervous as we start approaching the rut that we're going to see the buck i'm after end up on that highway so i did my my nightly kind of drive up and down our property on this busy road. And sure enough, there was a dead deer. And I thought, Oh my gosh, that can't be him. So I drive up to it and somebody had hacked off the most hack job of, of all hack jobs. He, he hacked off like the face. It was the weirdest way to ever kind of claim a deadhead. Um, but all I came up on was this body the, the rack was gone, but the body was enormous. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this mm-hmm. has to be him. We have no other deer on camera, you know, and as much as that doesn't necessarily mean anything to me, it kind of meant everything is we, this was the deer I had on camera that could have supported this body. Yeah. And what was the date on that again? This is October 25th, which was a Sunday. Yeah. And so I was, I mean, I was terrified. I was distraught. I thought it had to be him. I called my dad. He's like, settle down. You know, it's not for sure him. He's trying to talk me off the ledge, but I was, I was sure it was him. And I thought my season was over. Um, so 
how did you, I want to know, I mean, because you you still hunted, right? Like, how did you mentally recover from that? Because uh, one of the things that I always try to do when when I have guys come on and tell hunting stories that are specific to a buck or, you know, a hunt or a season, I always want to know what did we learn from that? Because that's where we grow, right? It's those stress points and those pressure points where we really do grow. This jumps out at me as like one of those moments where you had a decision to make. And depending on how you chose to move forward from that, you were either really going to grow as a hunter or potentially stunt your growth because of picking up bad habits, you know, and addressing that. So how did you pivot and recover? Did you do it well or did you, (laughs) do you feel like maybe, uh, maybe it took some time? Well, I, I definitely took a little bit of time. I mean, the next couple of days, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I was like sick over the whole situation. I just couldn't think about it. The thought of hunting was like, it didn't even intrigue me. Um, I just, you know, I don't know if you've had that feeling of, of a buck you were after, you know, getting shot or, or, or dying or whatever. Um, or, you know, you spook it or whatever you you feel like your chances are are done. And so I was totally, you know, shut down and kind of over it. But, you know, as the week goes on, it's like that itch just comes right back. And, um, I knew I had some other bucks on camera that I'm no trophy hunter. I'm not good enough to, to claim to be any sort of trophy hunter. So, um, there were definitely bucks still on camera that, I was all for. So, um, you know, after a few days I was kind of right back into it and, you know, looking at that full moon, um, I still plan to get out there and the buck that I, you know, ultimately ended up shooting. Um, he was one of those bucks and he was like one of the most patternable bucks I've ever come across. He just happened to kind of do the same thing, especially when you got a certain wind direction, it was like, you could guarantee he was going to be in a certain spot. Interesting. So, once I shifted my, my focus off of the one that was gone, my number two was the one who I ended up shooting, who was now my number one. I just made a game plan. Once I could get this northwest wind or a north wind, um, I was going to be in a certain spot, and he was going to walk right by me. And So what did you know about this buck beforehand then? You said he was super patternable. Obviously, you had pictures of him um, and, and a really good idea of what was he doing. So what, what was he doing? Yeah. So, you know, honestly, I think he was probably only a three-year-old. So it's not like I had long-term history with him. Um, you know, I had some pictures of him as a, as a two-year-old where, um, you know, he was showing up during the rut and he was chasing some deer around. So I don't know that there's a whole lot of readings into that, that I could have done. Sure. Um, Dude, I love three, I love three-year-olds during the rut. I love them. They're they're like, they're like, they're like two-year-old turkeys. I just love them. I love them so much. It's like he finally felt like this was his ch- time to shine. And That's so he right. Was, yeah. They do. They do, man. Yeah. Well, and, you know, maybe, again, to back up, so that, that other buck that I've been, you know, um, keeping tabs on for the last couple of years, he would show up so rarely. And every time he showed up, he had knee, uh, mud up to his knees. So I'm pretty sure he spent most of his time way back in the swamp and wasn't spending too much time on the property. And I think, you know, we've always kind of had – that kind of three-year-old deer that seems to run the property. And I think that's who he was this year. Mm. Um, you know, he's not getting his butt whooped by this five-year-old cause he's living, you know, back in the swamps. And so this guy, I think kind of thought this property was his to, to roam and to rule. And, um, you know, when we got a North wind, he was going to come up this main trail into our food plot from the South. Um, he'd access it with kind of that wind in his nose and he would work through the food plot, um, which would then be on the downwind side of a bunch of bedding. Yeah. What, what did you know about where this deer was betting, where this buck was betting? 
Well, yeah, it was kind of like um, if we had that north wind, it seemed like he was going to always come from the southern portion of the property, okay. which is where that, that bigger buck was too, and kind of where it seems like if we get a mature buck in the, you know, in the area that's using it consistently, he'll come from the southern portion of the property. And, you know, extending south off of our property is, is DNR land, okay. and it's, it's swamp for hundreds of yards, and, you know, there's lots of different pockets of kind of red brush and things like that, that they'll, oh, so they'll prime, set up in yeah, prime, bedding, right. prime bedding. Okay. Yep. So I think, I think for the most part, you know, they're, they're bedded out in the swamp and there's a few points where we know they access from and we, and you know, they'll bet on those points in our, on our land too. But um, yeah, if I was betting, I'd say he was in the, in the swamp. Okay. So you find this buck dead or this deer, it was, it was a buck dead on the 25th. We don't know if it's the buck or not. Right. Uh, did you immediately jump right back in the saddle? Well, I say jump back in the saddle, uh, not meaning saddle hunting. I'm guessing, <laughs> you, I'm guessing you weren't saddle hunting. No, I, you know, I, I continue to kind of mess around with that idea of saddle hunting and I, I just haven't quite bitten the bullet yet. I've, I've kind of like a lot of people, especially in this area of the state, um, really gotten into the whole, you know, hunting beast, Danny yep. vault you know, really started paying attention to a lot of that. So, you know, a few years back I got a lone wolf and I got some, you know, some, um, sticks and I do a lot more hanging hunts and things like that. And, um, so that's kind of what I've been trying to get into, Mm -hmm. but I haven't found gone full, you know, hunting beast style and, and really dove in, dove into the swamps too much. Um, given the property that I've gotten, it seems like it can get finicky. If you start getting too aggressive, it's just like all of a sudden the activity dies down. And I know that that, yeah, you know, that that's not necessarily the truth, but that's just been my, my reaction. And so I've tried to handle things a little bit more delicately, at least when I'm not out hunting public. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. Though, yeah, those tactics are made for public ground. Like, if you just look at the studies that have been done by, like, Auburn University and others, the way hunting pressure changes what deer are doing. Yeah, you know, if you've got a 70-acre piece that's yours and it's the right piece and you control pressure on it, your best bet and the best thing you can do, unless it's just a, unless you just hate this style of hunting, is to sit back and wait. Let the deer show you what they want to do, show you where they're going to be, and then strike. I mean, you know, one of the worst things you can do probably is try to use super aggressive, highly mobile beast tactics on a small property. And when I say small property, I mean anything under 300 acres, right. you know, like it's just, it's not going to, you only have so much bedding. Like you're, you're going to, 
it, you know, Dan Infalk says, well, I can just, you know, I hunt a hundred beds in a season and I can just hunt one and blow it out and then move to the next. Like you don't have that option when you're on a small parcel. Right. You know? Yeah. I'm sure some guys could probably pull it off, but not me. Not me so. Yeah, no, I'm not that guy either. I'm, I'm really yeah. not good at bed hunting, and I'm okay with it. I'm coming to terms with it now uh, that it's just not my style. But uh, yeah. so how long until you were back hunting again? Were you back out the next day? No, so I, I think, um, you know, I took a few days of, of just kind of hating everything about yeah. <laughs> hunting and, and just living in my misery. And then, you know, um, I think I had the Friday that week off which was, um, the 30th. Okay. And so, um, I was like, that's the day I'm going to get out there. I, well, I didn't have it off. I had a meeting like right away in the work day. So I kind of figured, you know, earliest I can get, get out there is probably around 10 or 11, somewhere in there. And knowing that it was the full moon, I thought, well, you know, with all this kind of all day activity, um, or potentially midday activity, that's going to be okay. You know, I'm, I'm going to miss the morning hunt, but that's all right. I'll get out there and I'll get up set up early. And actually on this particular day, I was feeling extra inspired to do a hanging hunt, um, to hang a stand on the Southwest corner of our food plot, which in hindsight, I don't know how I didn't have a stand there in the first place, but I didn't. And, um, so I, I I knew I was going to have this Northwest wind. I knew that buck was, was kind of using this main trail. So I thought, all right, if I get out there at 10 or 11, I'll hang a hunt or I'll hang a stand and, and I'll hunt that. And I hung a little bit more of a permanent set than typically like my stand and sticks type of, of setup. I, I did tree pegs, which I've never done before. That was the day I decided to do it. So like the um, screw in kind. Yeah. The screw in, the okay. screw in kind, kind of the more permanent um, yeah. screw in steps. Yeah. And um, so I decided that was going to be the day I'd figure out how long it takes to hang a, a stand that way. And it took me way longer than I expected. Yeah. So I dude. I, That's what I was thinking. I was like, man, those things can be tough. Yeah. Like real yeah. tough. Okay. Yeah. And, and well, so I, I chose, I chose to do that. And then, you know, I got there, I think I got to my tree probably right around 11 o'clock. Um, it was a little bit warmer, but, um, again, it was kind of like you, you had the feel of the full moon in the air and you could just tell like today's a good day to be in, in, in the woods. And I'm, you know, starting to hang my, my tree pegs and, um, I'm, I don't know, I think I got one more to go and then I got to haul up my stand, hang the stand and, and haul up my, my bow and my pack. And all of a sudden I hear some, some crunching coming and I, I look to that road. There's and really, I guess maybe to give a visual, our, our food plots about a hundred yards um, running East and West by about 35 North and South. It's like a perfect rectangle. And the way kind of the main trail through the property goes is it goes north and south, more or less, um, on the west side of the food plot. Um, I really need to put up like some switchgrass or something to, to screen it. So if you want to access that, um, you can kind of cr- pass the food plot without, you know, getting busted. But sure. I, I've, I've tried it and I've failed and um, I, I don't get busted too often there, but it's still something that that's my aspirational goal someday. But anyways... Yeah. I'm setting up on the southwest side, just on the edge of this main trail that humans use, but the pressure's low enough that it's really mostly a deer trail. Um, and as I'm about to hang that last step, all of a sudden I hear something coming up that trail from the south. And sure enough, out, out pops this buck that I'm after, my number two, that's now my number one. Um, <laughs> and he's like 10 yards away, 15 yards away, perfect uh. bow range. I'm like, oh my God. 
I don't have my bow, my, my stand sitting on the ground. Like I'm, and I'm sweating up a storm because this has proven to be a tougher process than expected. And sure. And it's hotter. And I look down at him. I'm like, Oh my God, this was the opportunity. And I just blew it. Cause I took too long to get out here and I took too long to hang my stand. And he steps out into the food pot and he kind of looks over at my stand, looks at my bow. He's kind of doing, you know, that, you know, the head bob that they do when they're kind of like onto something like, yeah. He's I hate that. It. it causes so much anxiety in me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. And all of a sudden the tail wiggles a little bit. And I don't know if you, you know, if you feel the same, but I see that tail wiggle and it's kind of like, okay, he's relaxing. Yep. And then he starts feeding into the food plot. I was like, okay, well, he hasn't pegged me yet. I don't know how, how I'm supposed to get my bow. I don't know how I'm supposed to get the stand hung, but whatever, at least maybe I can live to fight another day. Right. Well, he keeps feeding through the food plot and then, all of a sudden kind of takes off and kicks up like a little, he kicks up a doe out of the, out of the, that was bedded right on the edge of the food plot and chases her into the food plot. And then he books it into the woods again and then kicks out another doe in a, in like a fork, just a small little fork. And he's chasing that fork and grunting, grunting like crazy. And I, I've very rarely had grunting opportunities. So this was really cool to see. It was, it was definitely new to me. And he was just chasing that thing down, like, get the heck out of here. I got my two does. Um, he chased that thing off into the woods and then he starts just racking a tree on the edge, just, you know, rubbing the heck out of it and, uh, chased one of those does off kind of to the east side of that food plot on the far edge. And you're just hanging on the side of a tree I'm, for all I'm of hang, this. I'm just hanging there. And yeah, I sent you my Instagram post and I got some really crappy blurry vision of, or a uh, video of me hanging in my, you know, in my lineman's belt and, uh, in my safety system, just kind of like, I got nothing. I Dude, can't, it, I can't. At least you had alignments. Yeah. Like if you hadn't had alignments belt, like that would have been struggle yeah. city. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that whole, that whole situation took a good five, 10 minutes. Um, you know, I mean, it sounded like it happened like that, but it, it took a while of him chasing around and feeding and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just hanging there. And I, because I was just hanging there, I was able to get my phone out and get a little bit of video, but, um, yeah. So he finally works through that far end of the food plot and kind of went off and, and things kind of settled down. And I thought, okay, you know, who knows where he went to, if he's going to come back or if another deer is going to come back. So I kind of quickly hurried up and got my stand hung and got my bow up and got settled. Tried to get the sweat sweating to stop and <laughs> get my nerves under control. Yeah. So when you got in there and got settled and kind of took your breath, you know, what time was it when you were set? It was probably like 1230. Okay. All right. So you're um, settling in for kind of a longer afternoon, you know, not yeah. not an all-day sit, but definitely not a normal, you know, got to the stand at 230, you know, right. kind of afternoon yeah. hunt. Yeah, I think he came through at like 1130. You know, I watched him for a good 10, 10 minutes or so, and then it was probably closer to, I, I guess, noon. But, yeah, point, of, point being, I had a long ways to go. Lots could happen, okay. um, you know. And did you have a pretty good idea when he left the food plot? Like, did you think he had run off a good ways or were you thinking the whole time, like, eh, he's right in that wood line? He ran into a little spot where it seems like every, every time I see a deer head into that area, they're just kind of up to some mischief. It's like, all of a sudden you're going <laughs> to, you're going to hear like uh, a whole bunch of, you know, 
leaves crashing and sticks breaking and all of a sudden more deer will pop out. So it's, it's sometimes a bedding area, but more or less it's just a number of trails kind of crisscross through there. So I don't know if they'll kind of set up there and bed for a temporary little staging spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't write him off as he's gone. Like, it's not like I saw him go to a spot where I know I'm never going to see him again. I went, he went to the spot that I know is like anything can happen. Sure. And in, in that spot, have you ever gone in there and found a scrape or a couple scrapes? Um, I, you know, I've honestly never found any scrapes in there. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll typically, if, if like my season's over, cause I'm tagged out, I'll, I'll try to bomb in there during the season at some point and just kind of get a feel for what's going on in there. Yeah. Never really found scrapes. Um, okay. Found, yeah. I've got a, I've got a spot that you, it reminded me of when you were talking about it and it's, it's on a piece of public, but in this little spot, you go in there during or after the rut. And there will be, you know, there are all these crisscross trails that are always there. But during mm-hmm. and just after the rut, you'll see buck beds all around where all these trails crisscross. And basically what happens is all the, the does, I guess, come up out of the marsh feeding towards this big ag field. And they all have to cross. There's a little ditch. They have to cross in this one spot. And then they kind of fan back out again as they work their way towards the ag. Well, I in this one spot, there will be like three or four buck beds literally in a circle around where these trails converge. And I think during the rut, what's happening is those bucks just are like, you know what? If I sit right there, I've got them all covered. Like I don't, I don't have to work for it. I can just, I can just observe. So I was wondering if, if you know, there were some scrapes or any any sign that you know they're they're heading in there to just kind of observe what the rest of the deer are up to. Yeah. No. I mean, there's definitely opportunity for scrapes, and I know if you follow some of those trails not that far from that area, you're going to start running into scrapes okay. uh, in a couple of directions. So. Um, but what you're describing actually makes a lot of sense for kind of how they use that. It definitely picks up right around, you know, that end of October, early November is when I, that's when all of the, you know, mischief happens there. Yep. It's just like, it just turns into a hot spot. Yep. Dude, that's, I, I have seen that time and time again in this little place. And the funny part about the spot that I'm talking about is it's so good, but there's not a single way possible that I could get into it or have a have any kind of bow shot like I, the closest I can get is 80 to 100 yards and they're not going to be coming my direction like I have no access with the way the private kind of loops in on it I, I can't get to it but I can sit there at 100 yards and watch bucks stand up out of those beds and walk a circle and you know like yeah. I just can't actually get in there and hunt it so um, frustrating but all right anyway so you're in the sand you're settled you're ready to go now what yeah, so, so now I'm sitting there and, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I'm a little bit like, uh, you know, that was my chance. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of daylight left. So I'm feeling okay. And I sit there for a couple of hours. I'm probably texting buddies saying, can you believe this happened? You know, sending them videos and things <laughs> like that. And um, I don't know, probably 2 o'clock, 2, 2.30, something like that. Um, that fork that he had chased off kind of came back into the food pot. And he started kind of, you know, browsing through the food plot and he's kind of working his way towards me. And then another like six pointer, another small, you know, whatever, um, came out and, um, those two were, you know, just kind of browsing and munching and, um, eventually worked past me and kind of worked to the South on the same trail that that original buck came up North into the food plot. So they kind of went to that Southern portion of, of the property and, you know, it was fun. You got to see a little activity, um, which for me, I, you know, if I don't see anything, it's not unusual. Most of my sits are quiet and, you know, I'll, I'll catch one or two deer. So by now, you know, I've seen 
four different um, deer plus, you know, actually five different deer. And so for me, it's been a really, you know, awesome day, lots of activity. Sure. And uh, they headed off south and I'm like, okay, they're back on their feet. And, you know, the young bucks do it first and then the big bucks follow. Right. So I'm kind of holding out hope he's going to come back out kind of from that east where that that fork came from. And then all of a sudden I hear, you know, kind of sounds like some rattling of antlers, but from the south. So I'm like, oh, that fork and that six pointer must be kind of going at it a little bit back there. And it was just, you know, it was light or whatever. And they started coming back and they came back out into the food plot and now they picked up their fight in the middle of the food plot. Um, and it was just what forks do. It wasn't, it wasn't aggressive. It was just enough to kind of make a ruckus. And I guess it was enough to, to bring that, um, that big buck back into the food plot. So all of a sudden he's at the, I just see him standing there in that far East side of the food plot. So he kind of snuck in on you. You didn't know he was coming. No, I mean, he, I saw him right where he was about to enter the food plot. So it was kind of like he showed up and he was just standing there. I didn't see him kind of working his way. He was just all of a sudden there. It was kind of like one of those, I don't know, moments you dream of where that big buck shows up and um, he was watching them. And I was like, okay, you know, now it's on. Now I just got to hope that those two can kind of, you know, figure him, get him over in in, in the bow range. And, you know, um, they were probably at, I put it 60 yards. So even if he showed up right at them, I still had some work to do to try to get them kind of back in range. And um, he came over and kind of started, you know, fighting them off and kind of breaking up their fight. And then he would go back to eating and then they'd start trying to pick a fight with him. And then he'd, you know, pick his head up and they'd (laughs) sprint off and kind of all of that games that they were playing brought one of them kind of back into bull range is at about 30 yards. And eventually that the big buck kind of came back um, curled around him as if he was going to fight him again. And at this point now he was 35 yards and uh, not really paying attention my way. And I was able to get up and um, slink a shot right through. So um, he, it was like a perfect shot. It was probably my best shot on a deer ever. Um, just right behind the shoulder, just clipped that back leg, the nice. back of the front leg. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and he ran about 30 yards and keeled over right on that main trail. Oh. And, uh, that, that fork in the six pointer. Now, by this time, all of a sudden, another, like a 10 pointer, a young 10 pointer, but like an up and comer were in the food plot and they're just kind of staring at him. Like, what the heck is going on over there? Why are you laying down, dude? And they, <laughs> they just sat there and watched him for the next hour. It was really, it was so cool. Yeah. I mean, just I'm on cloud nine because I just shot the buck that I'm after. Now I've got this really nice up and coming 10 pointer, just kind of staring at him. These two, the fork and the six just kind of continuing to play. It was, it was awesome, man. That's incredible. What a, what yeah. an awesome hunt. And yeah. It, it sounds like you've got possibly a target for this year, at least next year. With well, this, that, with you know, that 10. was 2020. Oh, so. that was, oh, that's right. That was 2020. So yeah. did you ever catch up with that 10 point again? <laughs> well, sure enough, he, he, he blew up. He was, um, he was the spinning image of that buck that I had been after. Oh. And, um, you know, he blew up. And so he was, he was all over camera in 2021. Okay. All right. All right. But, um, so you, you get down, obviously no track job needed. I I always want to hear this. Who's the first person you called? I think I called my dad, um, first. Yeah. He's always kind of my first guy I call. Sure. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe it. You know, cause he was the one who was pep talking me all week when I was kind of down in the dumps. He was like, there's still, your number two is still out there. You're not even sure that that was the big one. You, you might as well stick it out. Um, you should be out there. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, I gave him the call and he's always kind of the ultimate hype man. So he got me in the, you know, got me going. Um, He lives up in Wausau, so he's, he's pretty far away. So he wasn't going to come, but you know, it was fun to tell him the story. And then I immediately called my stepdad um, and kind of sent out a text to the family text and got my, um, my brother-in-law and my nephew to come out too. So I had a little bit of a family affair kind of came out to, to be part of it. My nephew was probably four or five at the time. Oh, Um, that's cool. Yeah. So this was his first track job. And, um, so it was, it was awesome. What a memory. What a memory. All right. So tell me, tell us about the buck now. I mean, I mentioned earlier, he's a 10 point, uh, but, but tell us about him, you know, size wise, what are we looking at? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's nothing, nothing super special. I mean, he was, I think a three-year-old, um, he was super wide, um, not extraordinarily tall. Um, and I say super wide, again, my standards are probably different than most. He was, he was wide. He was, you know, um, I probably should have measured him, but probably 18 inches or so wide. Um, he looks, he looks wide in the picture. Um, and you know, he was, he's kind of got this like bent brow tine, um, and a forked G2. He, he just kind of was a little bit of a trashy buck. Um, again, not super tall, but, but wide and kind of trashy and just had some goofy stuff. And, you know, it's one of those, wonder what he would have looked like if he got a little bit older. Um, cause he really had potential to be kind of a, a wild, you know, um, big buck. But, um, again, to, for me, that was the biggest buck that I've ever shot on our property. Um, so I've shot, I've shot bigger deer, but all in different situations, um, that, you know, kind of didn't pass the purity score of shooting one on your own property. There's just yeah. something about doing it that way. Um, so for me, that was really special. Yeah, I, I saw somebody, it was on Instagram the other day, but man, they said something that just really stuck out to me. Um, they had bought property, I guess it's family property, and they said, we won't kill our biggest deer here, but we'll kill our best deer. And for me, man, that really like sunk in of like, they bought land, it's going to be family land, and it's like, we're not going to produce, you know, 160 inch deer here. But we're gonna right. shoot, and we're, but we're gonna shoot our best deer here because they're gonna be the ones full of meaning. Like when you yeah. look at that deer on the wall, the one you're talking about there, the best one you've killed off the family property, man. That deer is full of meaning, regardless of whether or not he's he's your biggest. You know what I mean? Yep. So, um, man, that's awesome. What do you what did you do with him? Is he on the wall somewhere? Yeah, I've got a year old of him. I, I should have nice. brought him in here, and I meant to, and I totally forgot. Oh, um, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> You uh, shoot me a picture of it though, man. I'm curious to see how he uh, how he turned out. Once we get done here, shoot me a picture. So yeah, uh, yeah, I will. Dude, did the 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 big buck? He disappeared. He was gone. Well, so it's funny you ask. Um, this is October 30th, right? And I I spent you know we we tra- by the time the family got out there, we got him out in the dark, so we didn't get good pictures. So I brought him back out on Halloween day. Got some nice you know um, pictures, kind of staged pictures and things like that. Um, again, kind of biggest buck to date. It was special to me. So, um, October, November 1st, the camera goes off and look who's alive and well. No, no, no. (laughs) Yep. No. Was it daylight? Um, gosh, I don't even remember. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Okay. If it had been daylight, that would have just been salt. No, no, no. There was a, yeah, he, he was, um, no, he was alive and well. It was probably seven o'clock, so it was definitely after shooting light. Yeah. Um, but it was like, oh my god, you idiot! You overreacted because of this highway that has you terrified of 
taking your, your number one. And, you know, so it was like, I'm, I was so mixture of emotions. I was so happy and I didn't want to yeah. take anything away from the buck that I did shoot. But at the same time, I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah. I can't believe that he's still alive. Yeah. Now I have hope that it's like, well, I've got gun season coming up. Um, there's obviously always next year. And, um, I guess maybe to go full circle is, you know, so I, I kept keeping an eye on the cameras just to see, is he still alive? Is he going to be around for gun season? Um, you know, I had history with him and honestly after November 3rd or I think third was the latest I ever got a picture of him. Um, until I think 2019, I got a picture of him at the end, the last day of gun season. Um, wow, okay. and, and so it was like, okay, so he, he does seem to come back at some point. Um, but it was like most of November, he was pretty much gone. I think he came back on like November 30th and it was just one little pass through, but it was during shooting hours and my stupid butt, was in Minnesota visiting my in-laws. So, oh. <laughs> uh, so I was not out and oh. I didn't get to shoot him that year. And so, you know, I thought, all right, well, maybe he'll come back for gun season again. And so I was keeping an eye and I just never got a picture of him again. And so now I'm starting to think like, okay, did he get shot somewhere else in the, in the end of November? Well, um, you know, we go through the season, I get no more pictures of him. 2021 comes along and he's alive and kind of well. He... Um, is just as big as ever, but halfway through his, his left main beam, it like, he must've heard it at some point in vet in velvet must've broke it like mm. sheer and it, it was dangling straight down, oh. but it was hard. So it was like a hard break. Imagine, you know, he's, so he was kind of a mainframe 10. He had a couple of stickers on his G twos, but right after his G two, the main beam was broken down. And then it was like the rest of a typical buck was just down, but facing forward. Wow. A little bit kind of smushed. So, but he was, I mean, he was a monster, you know, now six year old. Man. And, um, meanwhile, I had that, that 10 pointer that I told you the up and comer, he was, um, you know, probably pushing upper one forties. Um, so I have these two bucks, like by far kind of the best year I've, I've got available in terms of having two big shooters that, you know, we're using the property pretty extensively. Um, I did see the the younger of the two one time from the stand across the swamp. Um, and I, I think before we, we jumped on the podcast, I told you every once in a while we have issues with coyotes kind of screwing up hunts and kicking deer out of beds. He was working across the swamp and all of a sudden kind of turned and took off. I didn't know what happened. I didn't know if he winded me. He shouldn't have winded me. I didn't know if maybe he pegged me in a tree. Um, but then a minute later coming straight from where he was, a coyote popped out directly mm. below, my, below my tree. And I was like, ah, oh. so answers that question. Yeah. So <laughs> long story short, that big one lived, um, you know, he, he kind of dodged me a few times through, uh, through the 2021 season, 2022 season, uh, never got a picture of him, never got a picture of, of the other one. So, um, those two kind of came, gave me the best, you know, hopeful season ever in 2021 to never have an encounter. And then they were gone by 2022. So yeah. Any ideas of, of what you've got, got out there this year? Well, so 2022 was rough. It was like, I had two, two year old eight pointers that, you know, I don't know, 75, you know, points or 80, 85 points, like nothing super special. Like they were, they, like you can tell they're, they're going to be really nice deer as they get older. Um, just kind of like solid little eight pointers. And, um, I, I shot one of them 
in bow season after the gun after the gun hunt i thought he had broken off part of his rack and i thought he was a random deer coming through that i never had pictures of and i thought okay i'll just get a little bit more meat for the freezer sure so i've got i've got one of those two eight pointers he he lived through the rest of the you know season I, i pulled my cameras in january he was still alive and holding so um my hope is he's still out there i generally don't get cameras out until kind of end of August and then I kind of let them be through most of September and um, October. So I don't know what's out there right now. I just, I've been burned too many times by getting excited by summer pictures only to be like that deer is never going to be here during the, during the season. So for sure, for sure. Well, man, if folks want to go and see uh, the picture of this buck or they want to keep up with you, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm just on Instagram. um, Caleb.hewitt.one. I think Um, (laughs) I would have to check that, but um I can't imagine there's too many other Caleb Hewitts and you know, I don't have many <laughs> followers, maybe like 150 or so. Okay. Um, I'll put yeah, a, I'll put a link to, uh, to your Instagram profile in the show notes for this so that, you know, people want to go see a picture of the buck or whatever they can, um, they can go on there and do that. So, uh, yeah. well, man, you got an elk hunt coming, so you better get after it. Like you've yeah, got, I gotta go, gotta go, uh, throw the pack on and do some hiking up some Hills today. So I was going to ask um, if you've been, uh, preparing for you know the physic the physical side of it yeah as i mean as as best i can i've got a, a one-year-old or just shy one-year-old so um you know when i get off of work i'm usually kind of trying to take care of her but yeah. i'll throw her in the in the stroller and she gets to go on some hikes with me and um as much as she probably doesn't care for that after a while but uh no yeah we'll try to get out there again tonight and um it's a muzzleloader hunt and i've never done that so i've been really maybe more so focusing on just trying to get, get my muzzleloader under control and figure out all the ins and outs of a Colorado muzzleloader hunt. Yeah, man, the thought of having, I've seen so many guys go out there with a bow in hand during the elk rut and have a close call. You know, those, those bulls come into 60, 70 yards and they just can't quite pull off that long of a shot with a bow, which to a Western hunter, they're like, yeah, 60 yards. I'll whip that, you know, but for me, that's that's a no go. But man, to be out there that time of year with a muzzle loader, I think I think you've got, I think your odds are are not bad. If, if yeah. you can get, if you can find the elk, if you can find them, I think your odds of getting one are are not bad. Yeah, gosh, I hope so. I mean, that's always the battle: is can you find them? You yeah. Know, we, uh, I, I had a my half of my elk crew hunted this exact same unit last year um, with bows in hand. And they said, if we had muzzle loaders, we would add a number of dead bulls, but Man. just with bows, they weren't able to get the shots off. So I'm just kind of hopeful we can replay that and I'll have the muzzle loader in hand. So there you go. Yeah, we'll see. Awesome, dude. Well, Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Good luck this season. Please keep me informed of how things turn out, man. Shoot me a message. You know, you get those cameras out in August, start seeing what you got. Uh, let me know. I'd love to follow along with, uh, the story of the great grandson of the giant giant buck or whatever <laughs> whatever that would be at this point you know if you have one show up that that looks a lot like him i'm always intrigued in about areas where you know you have bucks and you're like you have this similar genetic traits you know that are showing up and it's like boy you could be the son of that other of that other buck so uh, but yeah man keep me in the loop yeah same to you good luck to you i know it's it's just about that time i mean everybody's kind of itching to spend more time in the woods and and really get the 
the season going. So yes, indeed. Um, good luck to you and looking forward to following along in your season as well. Thanks, ma'am. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.